0: So we have been on a journey through what is called the Sermon on the Mount, often in Matthew chapter 5 through 7, this sermon that Jesus gives a description of life in the kingdom of God, life under the rule of King Jesus, and what it looks like to enter into that. It's an invitation, it's a call, and the part we're on is a series of contrasts where Jesus talks and he says, you've heard it said, but I say to you. And he's setting up off in a contrast maybe between an interpretation, but also helping people understand that what God is calling to is not simply external obedience, but a change or a transformation in the heart. And so today we're going to be looking at what Jesus has to say about honesty. And He uses the example of oaths. And now, oaths aren't something we deal with a whole lot in our everyday life. There's sometimes maybe if you've joined... The military or been in public office, you maybe took an oath. Took an oath to swear, you know, to uphold and defend the Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic. Maybe if you've been in court, you've taken an oath. Or you at least seen it on TV or heard about it, right? You know, I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. But it's not something we do very often, and there are different kinds of oaths. There are those kind of oaths like the military oath, which is something about something we will or will not do. And then there's assertive oaths that talk about what we're saying or something we have or haven't done. But in the end, it's all about truthfulness. And that's what Jesus is getting at. So let's take a look at what Jesus has to say. And then we're going to explore that. Because for many of us, oaths aren't something we deal with very often. So we wonder, why does Jesus make a big deal about oath-taking? So Matthew chapter 533. He says again, again, because he's been talking about this same topic lately. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. And so Jesus uses that language, that phrase of you have heard it said, or you've heard it said long ago. And what he's pointing to usually is what we call the Old Testament, the Hebrew scripture. Now he's not quoting any one particular verse here, but kind of conglomerating a number of different verses and putting them together. This idea of when you make an oath and an oath to the Lord, you're not to break it, but to fulfill it. And that seems perfectly reasonable. You make a promise, you fulfill it. But then Jesus is pointing to something God has said. And then he says, but I say to you, and he goes on, but I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool. Or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. So let's think about kind of how oaths work or how promises work. We do that in different ways. This idea of you make an oath and then you ask and call for a witness. And oaths were a way to what? Assert what you said is true. I mean, you think of that one that I example from the courts where somebody says what? I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. It's kind of this way to publicly assert, to hold you to the standard of telling the truth. And one way to show you're serious about it is to involve God. And so oftentimes here in the United States, what people often swear, where? With their hand on a Bible, right? It's a way to like, I'm involving God in this process. And what the people of Israel realized was they didn't want to be careless I mean, If you're involving God, you want to be serious about what you're doing. You don't want to profane God's name. You don't want to do this. And so what they did oftentimes was they would make a substitution. Well, I'm not sure I want to use God's name. I don't want to involve him. And so, well, we'll talk about Jerusalem or we'll talk about the temple or we'll talk about the altar. And what Jesus is pointing to is there was a little problem involved with this idea of making oats. And so we heard that a little bit in Matthew 23, and we'll come back to that. Well, what were the issues? And so I'm going to list four kind of issues that Jesus is getting at with oath-making. I'm going to list them and then we'll come back and look at each of them in detail. And so the first issue was substituting God's name was pointless because God is involved in everything. Second issue was this idea of oath-making created an honesty scale where some oaths were not as binding. Third issue was oaths are a way to manipulate. And issue number four, oaths presume that people aren't honest. And so we'll quickly go through those first two and then come back to the second two. So the first issue was people substituting God's name is really pointless. And that's what Jesus gets at. When he says, I do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven for it is God's throne. Or by the earth for it is his footstool. Or by Jerusalem for it is the city of the great king. So the idea was people would sometimes make an oath and they'll say, well, I swear by Jerusalem. And so they didn't want to really invoke God because they know like if you invoke God in an oath, then it's really serious. But if you just swear by Jerusalem, well, that's not as serious because it's just a city. And Jesus' point is, everything belongs to God. So it really doesn't matter what you swear by. You're involving God in the process. Second issue is an honesty scale. And this gets at, Jesus gets at this in a little bit in Matthew 23. I'm going to reread one of those verses, 23, 18. He says, you also say, if anyone swears by the altar, it means nothing. But anyone who swears by the gift on the altar is bound by the oath. Think about that. Well, I mean, here's the altar. If you swear by that? Now, nah, that, that's not really important. But if you swear by that gift on the altar, now that's a meaningful oath. And so what's happening here is Jesus is getting at was, well, there's kind of this scale of things. There's a scale of when you have to tell the truth and when you don't have to tell the truth. If I swear by the altar, well, I can kind of get away with fibbing a little bit on that one. But if I swear by the gift on the altar, well, now I have to tell the truth. In other words, it's this kind of sliding scale of like, sometimes I have to be honest, sometimes I don't have to be honest. It all depends on what I swear by. And what Jesus is getting at is saying, that's not how it works. We can't pick and choose like that. It's almost like, when I was growing up, this idea, you make a promise. And like, like, oh, I had my fingers crossed behind my back, right? And so there's this scale, this way of doing things. Because what happens when we scale oaths? What happens when we have this list? It leads to lack of trust, right? I mean, our society, all that we do is based on trust. Think about nearly everything you do in each and every activity of every day. You go to the gas station, you put gas in your car. You've got to trust that that's actually gasoline going in your car, right? You've got to trust that the little gauge there is accurate. And that when it says you bought 20 gallons, that you actually bought 20 gallons. Same with when you go to the store and you go shopping, when you have an interaction, when you go to the doctor, when you interact with a company, all these different things. Interact with somebody on the streets. Honesty is at a foundation of human society and culture. And so if we exist, Jesus is getting at in a society where honesty is kind of scaled and sometimes people have to tell the truth and sometimes they don't. What happens in our culture and what happens in our society? It breaks down. What would it be like if every time you went to the store, you made them weigh? It's like, well, I bought this box of cereal. It says there's 13 ounces of frosted flakes in here. Let's put it on the scale and check and make sure. Because there's sometimes I want to. There are times where I open that bag of chips and like, there is no way. I mean, it is like contents may have settled. Settled, they disappeared. They settled in another country. So we operate on honesty. But what happens in a culture where there's this distrust? So those are the first two, but I want to focus on the third and fourth. And this is the idea that oaths are a way to manipulate people. Oaths are a way to gain acceptance, to show we're sincere. Think about this with with a child when they get in trouble, like, oh, I swear on a stack of Bibles. I swear on my mother's grave. What's going on is an attempt to manipulate. I like the way Dallas Willard says it. He says this, the essence of swearing or making oaths is to try to use something that though impressive is irrelevant to the issues at hand to get others to believe you and let you have your way. He says the essence of swearing or making oaths is to try to use something that, though impressive, is irrelevant to the issues at hand, to get others to believe you and let you have your way. Just so, oh, I swear, I swear on my mother's grave, cross my heart, hope to die, which is what deflecting from the real issue at hand. And oftentimes, people, when they use expressions like that. What's going on? They're trying to get you to believe them. They're trying to get their way. And so Jesus is pointing at this idea that what's happening is with these oaths is an attempt to manipulate. But so in a sense, what Jesus is getting at is when we make an oath, we're trying to put a, in the modern terminology, put a spin on things. We're trying to subvert understanding. We're trying to subvert and manipulate other people. So when someone says, oh, I swear to God. In other words, you're saying, well, I have to believe you now. Because you swear to to God, right? And so Jesus is getting at this idea. When you start using oaths, oftentimes they're used simply in that way to try and manipulate someone. They're trying to make it a little bit weightier. They're using, and what kind of language? We often use that religious language, right? Swearing a stack of Bibles or my mother, all these things. And it's all ways to make what you're saying a little bit weightier. But the fourth issue is this. That in a sense, what Jesus is getting at is oaths presume people aren't being honest. I mean, if I have to make a promise, well, I swear on my mother's grave that I'm telling the truth. Why do you need to do that if you're not, shouldn't I expect that we're normally and usually honest why have oaths unless people can't be demanded? Why do we make when and someone comes to court and say, I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. The presumption is what? That people normally don't do that. And this is what Jesus is getting at. That the normal practice is we need oaths. And Jesus says simply, he says, all you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. In other words, what Jesus is calling for is people who speak the truth as a habit. Now, there's some questions and what's going on. And we have to think about what is truth because truth isn't simply always saying simply what's true. We know someone can speak the truth and still deceive or lie. There's a fantasy book series that I like called The Wheel of Time. It was a book series Really, really long book series and now a TV series. And it, it is characters, the Aes die. And one of their oaths is they're required, they, they're unable to lie. They take an oath when they enter this thing and it prevents them from ever lying. However, as you watch these characters during the books, they're able to manipulate and deceive people even though they always tell the truth. And so we all know what that's like where you can tell the truth but still omit facts say it in maybe a different way, so like, oh, that, he, that person's gone. And so somebody may assume, well, that means they left. Maybe they don't di- We don't know what's going on. But you use obscure language, and you cause people to think certain ways. So when Jesus is getting at your yes be yes and your no be no, he's not simply saying you always have to state the factual truth. He's also talking about are you attempting to deceive, or are you pointing to what's actually true? And so there may be some questions you have at this point. One is, does this mean we never should take an oath? Second one is, is, does this mean never lie? And the third one, and the most important one, is maybe, how can we begin to practice this? What's going on inside of our heart? And so one of the questions is, does this mean, as we read the words of Jesus, if we want to take Jesus seriously, and I think we should take Jesus seriously, and listen to what he says. Everybody says, he says, and he says, Do not swear. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Does that mean if you're asked to call to court that you shouldn't take an oath? Now, Christian history, there's debates back and forth on this. There are some who believe the Quakers and Anabaptists and others will refuse to take oaths, where they'll simply come into court and the, and the judge will maybe ask them to swear and they'll say, You know, I, I follow Jesus and Jesus calls me to always tell the truth, so I'm not, I, I don't need to take an oath for that. There are others who look at it differently. And think that and understand that Jesus isn't necessarily prohibiting all oaths here. He's using that as an example to make the point that we need to be honest people. And so we see even Paul, later in the New Testament, say this in first, Second Corinthians. I call God as my witness and I stake my life on it. That it was in order to spare you that I did not return to Corinth. Which sounds kind of like an oath, right? Kind of invoking God. And so that's kind of my take on it is that this is less about taking oaths in particular. I don't think Jesus is specifically giving a command that we should never take those oaths. Now I think that's a perfectly reasonable way to follow. I mean, I think someone who decides that and understands Jesus to be saying that would be perfectly correct, would be legitimate in their decision to say, no, I'm not going to ever take an oath. But I think what Jesus is getting at is, This way that oaths were used to avoid the truth. And so Jesus is really pointing at when he calls people into his kingdom, when he calls people to follow him, we're called to be people who are honest, where our yes is yes and our no is no. Second big question is then, well, is it ever okay to lie then? First thing I would say about that is that question is the wrong place to start. Sometimes we start with that question of, well, well, is it ever okay? And see, we're already leading us down the path of finding our way to justify ourselves. But it gets complicated, doesn't it? Parents and children, sometimes when you're dealing with a child, do you tell them the full truth? Or maybe sometimes realize that if you're telling them the full truth, it might be more than they can understand. It might be more than they can comprehend. They're not emotionally, psychologically ready to handle something at a moment. It's a question in medical ethics of how much is told between parents or between family and patients and doctors. Or the question that usually comes up, what about in a case of war? Famous stories of, for example, during World War II, uh, Corey ten Boom talks about in the hiding place. Challenges of when, imagine a family, you're hiding Jews in your house. And the Nazi soldiers come knocking on the door. And they ask, do you have any Jews here? Are you called to tell the truth? Because Jesus said, always tell the truth. And There's a great scene in The Hiding Place where Corey's uh, niece, cocky, she she believes absolutely that you always have to tell the truth. And so in this case, the Jews that were hiding in her house were in a little cellar underneath the kitchen floor, And then that was that little, the entrance to that was covered by the kitchen table. So the Nazi soldiers come and say, do you have any Jews hiding in the house? And she says, yes, they're they're under the kitchen table. (laughs) And the Nazis go and they look under the kitchen table. Don't see anybody and they think she's messing with them. Now, her aunt Corey was really upset with this because she realized the possible danger that could have been put in. But Kaki was deserved that you always have to tell the truth. And so we ask ourselves this questions of when is it right? When is it wrong? You know, when is it, when, how do we decide when there's a conflict between these two things, between one maybe protecting life and one telling the truth? One way of looking at it is to simply say, these are moral absolutes. We have to protect life. And so we always have to tell the truth. Others would maybe scale them and say, well, we have to decide which is the more important one. And then the question becomes, well, if protecting life is more important than truth-telling, if I lie to protect life, is that still a sin or is that forgivable? Complicated ethical questions, but things we can have to think about. But I think what we get at is that Jesus calls us to be people of truth. And so what I think of is, um, there are a couple of ethicists, Stassen and Gushi have a book on ethic. Kingdom Ethics, and they talk a lot about this, and they really help me think through this a little bit better. They follow some thinking of Dietrich Bonhoeffer and others, but at a simple level, one of the ways to get at it, it is truth exists and relate in the context of relationships. And so Stassen and Gushy have this great quote, they say, a farmer owes truth about his tomatoes to his customers, but he is not obligated to tell about his inner life in the same way he is obligated to tell that to his wife. read that again. A farmer owes truth about his tomatoes to his customers, but he is not obligated to tell about his inner life in the same way he is obligated to tell that to his wife. In other words, we exist in a relationship, we exist in these covenants of relationship, and we have different levels of honesty, and, and there are requirements of honesty based on a relationship with someone. We have requirements of honesty if we're a store owner to our customers, but are we obligated when the customer asks us about our inner life, well, how are you doing today? And you just say, fine. Which oftentimes we know is not really the case. But are you obligated to fill, give the full truth to somebody? And in the same way, we have relationships with our government and with different agencies. And so this idea of existing in that. We can think of enslaved people during the periods of the Americans. Um, prior to the American Civil War, were slaves obligated, were those who were enslaved obligated to tell the truth to their enslavers? And what I think this principle would argue is, no, they weren't obligated because of their treatment, because of the way in which the enslavers had denied them basic human rights. Those who were enslaved did not, were not obligated to tell the truth to their enslavers. Now they were obligated to tell the truth to their fellow slaves but not to those who would enslave them. Or as Stashen says again, he says, we have no covenant with such evil authorities. So if we have a, a government who's committing evil, the Nazis, the communists, we, we have no covenant with such evil authorities as to tell them truth as will help them do their evil. We have no covenant to tell the truth to someone to help them do their evil. And so we think about in the context of that, we can think of biblical stories. The story of the Bible, the book of Exodus tells of God's people who are in slavery in Egypt. And the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, proclaims that when a Hebrew baby boy is born, the midwives are to take the children and to throw them in the river or to kill them. And there are several midwives who say, well, you know, we, we, we rushed to get there. But these Hebrew women, they just have the baby so fast, we don't make it in time. They're lying to Pharaoh. But they're held up in some sense as a good example. When the people of Israel enter into the land that God has promised them, they go and they stay at the place of a woman named Rahab. And Rahab hides the spies and the people of Jericho come and they ask and they say, "Well, do you have anybody here? She's like, no, nobody here. They, they, you know, they went off that direction when in fact they were hiding up on a roof. Now Rahab later in the scripture, in the book of Hebrews is proclaimed as somebody who had great faith. And so we see this principle at work that when Jesus is talking about this call for honesty, that there are the times when we do this. But what we need to avoid is that Jesus, or what we need to emphasize, is Jesus calls us to be truth-tellers. That these are the exceptions and not the rule, that our yes should be yes and our no should be no. And that we need to avoid systems that create telling more lies. I was looking, as I was researching this, I found some articles online, and one for this organization called Very Well, and it was all about um, honesty and health. and, And the article was about white lies. Maybe you're familiar with the idea of a white lie. Well, white lies are these little things that, and essentially this article goes on to argue, well, white lies are fine. And white lies are the lies that avoid awkward situations. They protect others' feelings. And so they gave an example of a student who's maybe at college and the parents call and say, how's your first week of school going? And the student has had a really rough week. Things haven't gone well, but they say, oh, it's going great. Because they don't want to worry their parents. And the article says, well, see, that's perfectly fine because they're just protecting their parents' feelings. Or what about that time, and this probably has never happened to you, where maybe you get a gift. It's maybe not something you ideally enjoy. And somebody says, what do you think of it? It's really red. (laughs) Or maybe a dish that you try. Well, what do you think? You use the salt really well. <laughs> but we, we we find those situations and we say, Well, those are perfectly okay. And the lies are okay, but and I think we get the idea behind it. But I think what we need to be thinking about is these words of Jesus that our yes should be yes and our no should be no. That maybe sometimes we think we're protecting someone. Maybe we think we're hurting their feelings. But what's really going on when we use even what we call little white lies? It's deception in what? It begins to, as we went back to the beginning, untruths begin to break down relationships. And the other thing that happens, and it was interesting in this article, because it talked about, well, white lies were okay. But farther on down the article, it talked about how scientists and neurologists had studied and found that the human brain... The more times it lies, the easier it is to tell a lie. And we find that. And we know this from observation. That when we make something a habit, the more we do something, the easier it becomes. And so maybe we think, well, we were just lying about liking that sweater. Or we were just lying about that. And then all of a sudden, that little lie about that becomes easier to tell a lie about something a little bigger. And then a little bigger. And so when Jesus calls us to say, let our yes be yes and our no be no, I think we need to begin there and not begin with, well, is it okay to lie in this situation? Because that's not the right question to ask. The right question I always ask is, what is Jesus calling me to here? What is he inviting me to? Final thing I want to look at is, why do we lie? I mean, what is it that causes us to lie? And what things might we do to begin to reshape our hearts? Because that's what really Jesus is getting at. Because we realize that the lies we tell, and particularly those ones, there's, there's two different kinds of lies. There's the deliberately thought, about, thought out ones, right? And then there's those ones that happen in the moment. And I know I've been guilty of that, where somebody asks you something and maybe you don't want to answer the question. Maybe you're, you're embarrassed about something you've done. You've done something wrong and you just instantly respond with a lie. Where do those come from? I want to suggest two places those come from one is lies are often used to gain or maintain power or authority we see this in politics that people tolerate lies and so demagogues these ideas of people who tell lies and use them to manipulate people propaganda put out by organizations And their sociologists have looked at this and studied and found that people believe lies from leaders or are willing to accept lies from leaders for lots of different reasons. And they even study this in the context of just something as low level as a college newspaper. But the idea is that when a leader or someone speaking seems to be serving you or is maybe standing up for your rights, people are willing to tolerate lies. That if you see the candidate or a public official, or someone who's like, they're taking my side, they're doing what's right, then maybe you'll tolerate some mistruths from them. And what happens then is those leaders then begin to continue to use the same sort of lies to manipulate. And they're skilled at this, and they use the lies to embrace followers and get them. We can think of Hitler, Stalin, Mao, all through history, leaders who have used lies as ways to manipulate and bring people to gain and maintain power. And there's use of false claims to gain support. So in American history, men like George Wallace and Joe McCarthy. If you don't remember all of your history, but like Joe McCarthy who stands up before the U.S. Senate and says, there's 250 communists hiding here among the people of the Senate. He had absolutely no idea how many people there were, or if there were any. But he used that lie, that distortion of the truth to center himself, to begin to gain power, to gain some authority. At a more down-to-earth level, there's ways that lying is used to manipulate or gain power. A teen lying about where they are. Or maybe the child who says, well, mom said I could do that. And what's going on there? It's a way to manipulate the other parent to begin to do. And so lies are about gaining and maintaining power. And so one of the ways that we begin to practice and center ourselves before Jesus is to recognize that power distorts. That when we look at Jesus, Jesus never sought after power. Instead, he laid aside power. That Jesus said, this is what power looks like when he wrapped a towel around his waist and washed the feet of his followers. And so one of the ways we begin to recognize is we're not called to be in power. We're not called to rule over people. We're not called to manipulate people, but we're called to serve. And so by beginning to develop a heart of service, we begin to realize. Second major way, and this is probably the bigger one, is reasons we often lie is out of fear. We rely for all sorts of reasons. Maybe it's fear of our boss. We're at work, and the boss comes up with many of you have worked, have probably never had this happen again, where the boss comes up with an idea and it's really not a good idea. Maybe not the best way of doing things. And they say, well, what do you think of that idea? Good idea, boss. Let's do it. Why would you, instead of saying, that is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. You do that, you're going to run the company into the ground. And why would we not say the second thing? Because we want to keep our jobs, right? Or we're fear of what's happening, fear of what's going to speak up. Maybe it's a fear of embarrassment, where maybe we've done something wrong, we forgot to do something, and somebody asks us, and we're embarrassed because we forgot about it. And so we say, oh, Yeah, I'm working on that. We're avoiding the difficult conversation. There's lots of different ways that we come to these places where we're afraid. And so, in that moment of fear, we're trying to protect ourselves. And so we try and manage how others perceive us by distorting the truth. But Jesus is calling us to something different. And I think the way we begin to live out differently is spoken by John in his letter, 1 John chapter 4. And here he talks about our love for one another. And he talks about, he says, this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son for us. And he talks about God is love and whoever lives in love lives in God. And then ultimately he talks about the one who fears is not made perfect in love. He says, there is no fear in love. And he talks about this love casting out fear. And so what he's saying is part of what drives out fear, what it can begin to deal with that fear that often causes those reflexive lies that come out is to begin to ground ourselves in this, that we are deeply and fully loved by God as we are. That oftentimes our lying comes because we're afraid we won't be loved. We're afraid that we'll reveal our true self. And what God wants us to understand is he can see all of what's inside of us. Our true self is known completely by him. We can't fool God and he loves us. And when we begin to ground ourselves in that, as we begin to ground ourselves in this, that Jesus saw all those things that were a mess inside of us and he still died for us. That he came and died for all that mess inside of us. That when we begin to understand this, It begins to help us understand that how others perceive us maybe doesn't matter. Isn't how we should be seen, but what we need to begin is to see that we are loved by God. And so as we begin to do that, as we begin to realize that we're accepted, we can begin to come to a place where we don't lie out of those reflexes. And we can also, as a community begin to create that same sort of love. We can begin to be a church where it's okay for people to tell the truth. Where it's okay to make mistakes. Because oftentimes what happens is if we create a culture where perfection, we're always being okay. And so I use the joke about fine. And sometimes we can create that culture within a church where it's not okay to admit that you're struggling with something. Where it's not okay to admit that maybe you're not excited about things. Where it's not okay to admit certain things. And so we create a culture where we almost encourage people to not tell the truth. And so we can begin to create that same sort of culture, that same sort of atmosphere that we find in God. That it's an accepted culture of acceptance, a culture of grace. So where someone says, I'm struggling with that. They can be honest and be true. And so the invitation for us is to find and to begin to trust in God in whom we find our true worth. That's the beginning point of beginning to be people of the truth. When Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, that God is truth. And he's inviting us to live in that same way. He's inviting us to begin to be people whose yes is yes. And whose no is no. It's not easy in the culture we live in. We're lying. We're manipulation. We're distortions of the truth are common practice. But I believe that through God's help and through the power of his spirit, we can begin to be that people. That we can be people who remember and who speak the truth. So may we be people of truth, Fruitland. May we be people who are known as people whose yes is yes and whose no is no. As kingdom people, may it it be so and may that be us. Amen.